Amen. Would you uh, join me, Matthew chapter 3. I hope the Lord has already spoken to your heart. If you asked him to, I imagine he did. If you didn't ask him to, maybe he did anyway. If he didn't, I don't know where your mind was. I think that's one of my favorite songs that we do here. And I don't really remember it until we start doing it. I like that song. I hope your heart is full. Uh, that opening line, uh, one day he'll make all things new. I just think of uh, Kathy Gilreath having surgery this coming Tuesday. And a lot of others of you have had surgeries, and we will have surgeries, and we're all going to die. <laughs> But we'll get a new body. This is real. This isn't a fairy tale. So I hope your heart is full. I, uh, mine is, but I've got to tell you, my heart's a little bit burdened as well. Because we sing, when we all get to heaven, and I'm just curious, will all of us that are here today get to heaven? Probably not. And I know you're like, Jeff, why are you putting a downer? Man, we just got on a high. What are you doing? <laughs> Just trying to be honest, it would be highly unlikely for this many people to gather and all of us have real faith, real salvation. So uh, if you would join me in Matthew chapter 3, we're going to look at the same 12 verses we looked at last week. There was just too much there. Last week we looked at John the Baptist's message. There were some things in it that I noticed last week, kind of typed the thoughts out. they didn't make last week's cut because they were meant for this week. And uh, so you see the title, though that's not really encompassing of the whole message. That's kind of the first and third points, I guess you would say, of today. Uh, but last week, the message of John the Baptist. This week, we're going to see the mission of John the Baptist. And they overlap, obviously. Um, but if you can, invite the Lord to speak to you right now in your heart as we read so that we don't miss the most important part of today's message Matthew chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. The reading is always the most important part. So we left off in chapter 2. Joseph brings Mary and the little toddler Jesus back from Egypt. He doesn't settle in Bethlehem. He ends up settling up in Galilee in Nazareth. And that's where Christ is going to be called a Nazarene. He's going to do his ministry from Nazareth. And sure enough, as an adult now, we skip ahead 28 years from the end of 2 to beginning of chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John Baptist, or as the ESV gives us the word the, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching. Last week we looked at preaching briefly. Preaching is like teaching, covers the same material, but preaching calls for a verdict. It leads to a conclusion, calls us to take an action. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. So he's not in Jerusalem. He's not a city boy. He's out in the wilderness of Judea, the region. What's he preaching? We spent most all of our time on verse 2 last week. Here was his message. Repent. Repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. Literally, he's telling the Jews, this kingdom you've been looking for, that you've been hearing about, 
We haven't heard directly from the Lord for 400 years at this point. John the Baptist comes on the scene. As I said last week, the last Old Testament prophet, the first New Testament prophet, he says the kingdom is at hand. Israel, are you ready? Now listen, there's a real kingdom of God, a kingdom of heaven. It is coming, and you hear that and say, if that is true, that's good news. That's good news for some. If you don't repent, that's horrible news. Horrible news. Don't let the kingdom come. I'm not ready. I've never repented. That's why John says, repent. The kingdom's at hand. It's here. Because the king is here. John declares repentance. Matthew, writing this book about John and Jesus, chimes in and says about John, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said... So Matthew's pointing us back 700 years earlier when he wrote this. He was talking about John. The voice of one crying. The idea shouting. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Matthew continues. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair. That's not very fancy. And a leather belt. Around his waist. And his food was locust. Not very fancy. And wild honey. Sounds a little dangerous. Then Jerusalem. So the city people. And all Judea. The region. And all the region about the Jordan. Both sides of the Jordan River. Were going out to him. To John. And they were baptized by him. In the river Jordan. Confessing. Their sins. They're being baptized. People are coming out. This big movement. Big, big, big movement. Hundreds. Many, many hundreds, no doubt. Maybe thousands. And they're being baptized. This is going on and on. Huge revival. Confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are the religious leaders, when he saw them coming to his baptism, he said to them, You Brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You're like snakes scurrying out in front of a fire. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's not saying bear fruit to get repentance. He's already told them you better repent. Apparently they haven't. And so he's saying you need to bear fruit. If you really have repented, it'll come out. Bear fruit in keeping with Repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't you say that. Don't think that. For I tell you, God is able from these stones. Picture John looking around. See all these stones? God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. You think that's all you have? You better have more than that. Even now the axe is laid. These trees, by the way, are people. Symbolic language of people, figurative language. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Which trees? Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. And that's kind of strong figurative language. He means it to be strong. Verse 11 and 12, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Not meaning the baptism is the repentance. Because of your repentance, I'll baptize you with water. But he who is coming, 
this point, he's not revealed Jesus yet. He's still coming. That's why he's the last Old Testament prophet. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. You think I'm authoritative? You think I'm powerful? He's mightier than I. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We might look at that phrase next week. His winnowing fork is in his hand. We talked about that last week. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat. This is really going to happen. Wheat or save people. He will gather his wheat into the barn. Again, figurative language. Very clear what he's saying. But the chaff, it's the unbelievers, the unsaved, false professors, he will burn with unquenchable fire. Last week we looked at John's message of repentance. So without saying it out loud, let me ask you a question. Do you remember, those of you that were here, do you remember what repentance is? Do you remember what repentance is? I know it was just a week ago. I'm like, hey, that was seven days ago. I kind of forgot. I'm not going to re-preach the whole message, but you need those of you, so I'm like, oh yeah, repent. What is repentance? To repent, so let's review, is to have a thorough change. To repent is to have a thorough change. If you weren't here, you're probably thinking, okay, right, change our behavior. If you were here last week, you should say, hey, Jeff, there's more to that sentence, right. To repent, listen, is to have a thorough change of your mind. Metanoeo. Metanoeo. Meta. Change. The mind. If you really change the mind, it will come out in the life. Do you remember the three things it was? It's in the text. It's in verse 6. It's in verse 11. It's in verse 9. It will be in verse number 17. There were three particular things that we said we need to repent of. We have to totally overhaul, completely change the way we're thinking. This is John's message. Repent. Repent. Your mind's thoughts, your mind's perceptions, your whole disposition, your mind's purposes. About what? Three things. Sin. Have you ever repented of your sin? Have you ever taken a really good hard look that your sin is way worse than you think it is because God says it is? Has it ever occurred to you and you really bought in? Because of my sin, I am born in this world with a sin nature. I commit acts of sin and because of those, and I like it, and because of those things, I am headed for hell. Has that ever occurred to you? I come into this world headed for hell because of my sin. You ever repented, changed the way you think? Not only your sin, but yourself. Has this, has this ever happened to you guys? Have you ever had a point where you literally come to this conclusion? If, this, you can't do it by the way. If I never sinned again, from this time forward, I never commit another act of sin. And if I start doing many, many wonderful things more than anyone else on the whole planet, I start doing good things for other people and for God. Has it ever occurred to you, you will still receive eternal judgment in fire? You're like, I can never do anything to stop judgment. But then you'd better repent also about the Savior. I deserve judgment. I'm going to receive judgment. I can't stop it no matter what I do. 
But Jesus is so wonderful and so good. His sacrifice on the cross was so sufficient and acceptable to God. He can stop my judgment. Have you ever repented? This is not the invitation. This is not a conclusion. But I want to invite you right now, right where you're sitting, if you have never repented about your sin and that yourself is not good enough and that Jesus is, won't you just go ahead and do that right now? Don't wait. Right now, as you see it, just have this conversation. Bring God into view. God, I am a sinner. And God, I admit, I can never, I can't even stop. But even if I could, I can't undo all that I've already done. I can't undo my sin nature. But God, I really do believe. You said whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. God, I do that right now. Why don't you go ahead and do that right now where you see it? This morning, I want us to look at three things out of these 12 verses Number one comes out of verse number three. Would you think with me for a moment about the mission of John as a forerunner? The mission of John Baptist was a forerunner. Uh, really, I think he had a twofold mission, but they're kind of one and the same. His mission in life is to, like John, why were you created? Why were you made? Well, God made me as this forerunner to Jesus. My job is to preach repentance, what Jeff just called for to his congregation at Graceview. I was called to do in the nation of Israel at a specific time to call people to repent about their sin and their self and the Savior. And then I'm also to prepare a way for Jesus, for the arrival of Jesus. Let that sink in. That's his ministry. What do you do? I am preparing the arrival of Jesus. Now, some of you are going to get up and go to work tomorrow. You're going to get up and go to school. How many of us are deemed so important that when you walk on the campus or get out of the car or walk in the door, that uh, she's here, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in the office stands? You're like, yeah, they don't so much do that. Everyone in the class doesn't do that when you walk in. What kind of person is so important, they need somebody going in front of them, kind of like a marketing group, telling everybody they're coming? I can think of a few. Kings, emperors, queens, we know that. They have their entourage. And they go, these are called heralds. And they go before. And the king is coming. The queen is coming. Uh, the emperor. And they announce. And, and a lot of that plays into what John's ministry is about. Y'all know that ancient warriors had this? Ancient knights, if they were really, really good, they actually had their little guy that would go before them and really talk him up how much better of a knight he was than everybody else. You see it today even in our common, our, our, our modern-day fighters, our warriors. Uh, when they come out of the tunnel, they usually have their own music, and that's their, your cue. Uh, and they have their little entourage, and they go through, and, and they're making their way, and people are moving out of the way. And he's bobbing and weaving, he's got his little hood on. Why? This is the great warrior! He's coming! And then he gets in the, the ring, and the guy with the voice says, In the blue corner! And they're going to announce him. Why? This guy's so important, he's so great. Athletes. And the starting lineup at six foot nine, power forward from yay or boo. These people are so important. Celebrities are going to have a book signing over at the mall. You need to get there. There's going to be a great group over at the Bon Secours Wellness Arena. Got posters everywhere. They're announcing on the radio station. Be sure and get your ticket. Politicians, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump. And they announce them. Wow, these are kind of big deal people. Listen to me. Jesus is on another level. Jesus is the most famous person in the history of the world. By a mile. We got some famous people. 
I promise you, you go outside of these United States, people you think are just, oh, they're so famous. Oh, you get all nervous and your heart beats and you get all sweaty if you were to be within 10 foot of them. Go to Africa. They do not know who these people are. They don't care. Jesus is another level. He's not only the most famous. Has it ever dawned on you? Jesus is the single most influential person in the world 21 centuries running. 21 centuries in a row. 2,000 years in a row. Time. Who's your man of the year? They name somebody. She's the person of the year. He's the man of the year. People does their person. Every year, it's the same person. Jesus is the most influential person on the planet. Jesus. Five billion people on the planet know about Jesus. You can't say that about anybody else. This is more impressive. Every person in heaven. Heaven's a real place. There are real people there. Some of your loved ones are there. People from millennia ago. Many, many spirit beings. Every person in heaven not just knows of. They know Jesus. They love Jesus. They worship Jesus. He's it. He's so important. He's so powerful. He's so famous. His forerunners famous. That's Jesus. So... I thought about this, when cities host the Olympics, I don't know how far in advance, I think they get at least 10, 12 years, they put in these bids and this one's selected and they know where the Olympics are going to be held probably for the next three cycles. And when that happens, these cities immediately start putting things into action. They've already laid a plan out what they're going to do. They're going to double check the airport, they're going to check the subway system and, and all of the bus system, but particularly they're going to build these fancy buildings and they're going to make sure that when it arrives, all of the roads in the city are really, really good, really, really sharp. I wasn't there in 2008, but in 2009, after the Beijing Olympics, I was in Beijing afterward. i got to tell you, I've never been in New York City. I've driven around New York City. I've never been in Los Angeles. I've driven around Los Angeles, saw it way over in the distance. I've been in Atlanta, and I remember flying out of Atlanta and flying back to Atlanta after having been to Beijing in 2009. Atlanta is like a little podunk town. It's like, and I remember leaving, thinking, oh, down there's Atlanta. That's impressive. And then flying back in, like, what happened to Atlanta? It got so small. Beijing's an impressive city. In the city, you go about three miles outside the city and it's pure poverty. But boy, they really put on the dog. Why? That concept is not new. Look at verse number three. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now hold your spot there. If you want to join me, and it will be on the screen. But back in Isaiah chapter 40, I want you to see the actual text that this was drawn from because I want you to see what the Jews should have seen, but I don't think they saw it. Isaiah 40, so this is where Matthew's pulling this text from. By the way, Matthew's not just making this up. John the Baptist says this of himself, and he was accurate in doing so. This is a real prediction. John filled the prediction. Isaiah. I'm not going to back up to verses 1 and 2, but here's the scene. You're getting ready, Israel, you're getting ready to get carried off as exiles and captives to Babylon, but it's not all bad news. Once God's finished punishing you for, his, for your sins, and you're going to even do a double payment, here's the comfort, here's the good news. God's going to bring you back, and you're going to come through the desert, and there's going to be a way that is made for you. So there's kind of an immediate application that's coming within their maybe their lifetime or the generation after, but ultimately this whole passage is pointing to six, seven hundred years down the road to a greater fulfillment, verse number three. Here's the comfort, verse three. A voice cries. 
in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, fill in the valleys. And every mountain and hill be made low. Smooth that out. The uneven ground shall, be, shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory, so here's a prediction. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So there's this voice that's going to come. Here's what I really want you to see in verse number 3 because it's a little fuller even than what Matthew gives us over in Matthew 3. Verse 3. There's going to be a voice who's crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. What Isaiah makes clear is that the one who's coming, the one who's arriving, the one that, that, that John the Baptist is announcing his, his arrival is none other than God, the Lord. And I don't think the Jews ever realized that. They're looking for a Messiah, a Christ figure, a great man, a great leader, a great king, a ruler, a descendant of David. And all along, here's the point. This is God that is coming. This is the Lord, as one of our songs pointed out earlier. So as before we leave this point, here's what's happening. John, the Baptist, is coming saying the kingdom is at hand. A kingdom, I hope you're listening, a kingdom has a king. Jesus is the king. In fulfillment of Isaiah, Jesus is not only the king with a kingdom, Jesus is God, the Lord, all caps. I intentionally type that, all caps. He's Yahweh, the covenant-making God, is Jesus, he's the one who's coming. Make his path straight. Get ready. Are you ready? Yes, we've been looking forward to the kingdom. Have you repented? Because if you've not repented, this is not good news. This is horrible news that the kingdom is coming. I'm going to throw this out and move on quickly. Do you know that John the Baptist offered the kingdom to the Jews 2,000 years ago? You say, Jeff, what would have happened if the Jewish leadership had accepted Jesus as their Messiah? Then 2,000 years ago, we would have entered the kingdom. And 1,000 years ago, eternity would have started. You say, but it didn't. Right, it didn't. It had to happen the way it did. Because the Jews had to reject their Messiah so that they would crucify him on a cross and he would pay for our sins. But he will be coming back. 2,000 years ago, they rejected. But they're going to get the same king. And you say, well, when will the millennial kingdom start? The, the rules are the same. When the nation of Israel and its leadership looks on Christ, Jesus recognizes him as the Messiah, and they, they submit to him, then you get ready. Millennial kingdom is about to kick in. It was offered. They rejected. John's mission, forerunner. So back in Matthew chapter 3, the second thing I want to spend time in, and this one's going to be a two-part to it, this is what I, I kept seeing. I'm reading this last week for last week's message, and I just keep seeing this character of John, the character of John. And there's several things in the passage, and I dare say you've now read it with me two or three times. If you just read this ten times and said, what kind of characteristics about John stand out to you? Have some already started standing out to you? Have you already kind of know? Wow. Based off what we read, I can tell one or two things about this guy. Number one, John's humility. I'm going to take a moment. Do you notice John's humility that stand out to you? I'm going to propose that humility is probably the underlying element of the entire chapter. Not just John's, but this is what he's calling for. John has humility. He's calling for humility. But John the Baptist is 
like way up there. He's one of the, I, earlier I said Jesus is the most famous person in history. John the Baptist is one of the most humble people in the history of the world. And you're like, Jeff, how do you know? I want to give you a clue. I want to tell, here's your clue. You say, how do you know if someone's truly humble? Look for two things. Number one, listen to their words. And number two, watch for their reactions. Listen to their words, and not just their prepared words. Listen to their words in reaction to other people and to situations. Check your words. Check your prayers. Check your conversations. Is it always about you and what all you've done and how great you are, and in your mind how much more important you are? You don't have humility. John has humility. His words give away his heart. His reactions give away his heart. Now, we didn't read there. We'll go there next week. But now I want to quickly, just quickly, look at verse number 13 to 15. Do you see this? Look at verse number 13. You see his reaction to a situation that really shows the humility of John. Then Jesus came. So John's baptizing down by the Jordan, down south in southern Israel. Then Jesus came from Galilee. Okay, that's up north. And here comes Jesus to, to the Jordan to John. To be baptized by him. And guys, I, I, maybe it's in the Bible. I didn't research it that thoroughly. I don't know. Go there. Just go there in your mind. I don't know if John's out in the water baptizing people and here comes Jesus making his way out. And John sees it. Or maybe John's at the edge calling for people to be, repent and be baptized and then Jesus walks the aisle. What are you doing? I've come to be baptized. Verse number 14. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. Let it be so. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Then he consented. Did you get the scene? John's baptizing people, calling for repentance, baptizing more people. Here comes Jesus. What are you doing? I'm coming to be baptized. No. No. You need to baptize me. Let me give you another little hint. When they have the Grammys, right, and they have these rooms in the back, the backstage rooms, and they'll have five or six singers over there and 10 or 12 singers and 30 or 40 singers, and they have different, I know, after parties and all. I have a sneaking suspicion that when these singers are in a room, the singers... Know who the real singers are. They know. So you got a room full of singers, and everybody's walking around, they got champagne glasses, and they're talking. They know, over there's a, oh, yeah. I might try to talk to them. Why? They're the real singer. That's a real singer. Everybody knows Whitney Houston's America's Greatest Singer. When she was with us, just tremendous. Anyway, that's my opinion. Sorry I threw that in. You Mariah fans, give it up. Uh, as, anyway, uh, Celine is good too. I don't know their songs. I literally don't know their songs. I hear their voice like, that, that's singing right there. That's some serious singing. You say, Jeff, what are you doing? <laughs> Here's my point. I really am going to make a point. The man of God in Israel is baptizing people and calling for repentance. At this point, he doesn't even know fully who Jesus is. But Jesus, who's God, John doesn't even know it fully yet. He's going to find out after he baptizes him. But he's met Jesus. He's related to Jesus. I don't know how much interaction. 
Jesus has such a presence that the man of God who's baptizing people, calling everybody to repent of their sins, Jesus comes toward him and John's like, i got to repent. I've got my sin. You being here exposes my sin. The man of God knows who the man of God is. He's the God man. You baptize me. That's humility. John, that's quite a resume builder there. You're the one that baptized Jesus. John is not delighting in baptizing Jesus. John is feeling the weight and the responsibility of baptizing. I can't baptize you. There's this disagreement going on. Yes, you will. I can't do that. That's just wrong. I will propose that it is a sign of John's humility that he ultimately does baptize Jesus because it's going against everything he wants to do. In other words, only because you say do it will I do it. That's humility. Look at verse 11 and 12. So much here. Here's humility. You see John's humility in his descriptions of Jesus. I mean, he's just, this, this isn't fake. He's really trying to describe the person of Jesus. There's at least four things. I think I deleted one, but we'll go with these four. What do you see in verse 11? Here's what we find out. John, your words are giving your heart away. Here's what his heart says. Jesus is a greater person than me. Look in the middle of verse 11. He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. I remember my dad working construction. He still does when he can. But I remember when he could come home at the end of the day, sometimes he'd have muddy boots, sometimes they weren't so muddy, but I remember he'd hit the chair and he would often ask for me or my brother to come, untie his boots and pull them off because he'd had a ditch cave in on him at the end of the uh, 70s, 1970s, and his one foot in particular was really swollen up because it got crushed in that. And so we'd go there and pull his boots off. Why? Wow, we were kids, right? Dad says, take boots off, that's what you do. What, Jesus, what John is describing here, saying, I'm not worthy to do this activity. This is a slave. Literally, a slave would follow his master when it's time for the master's shoes or sandals to be taken off. They would bow down, unstrap the sandal, and take the sandal off and wash the feet. John is saying, I'm not worthy to be his slave. I'm sure he has slaves. I'm not worthy to be his slave. I might be worthy to be somebody else's slave, but I'm not worthy to be his slave. He is a greater person than I am. Not only that, Jesus has greater power than I do. You saw that also in verse 11. He who is coming after me is mightier than I. Of those first two points, can I just say this? It's not like a little bit more power. It's not like a little bit greater in his person. What John is saying is there's us and then there's Jesus. And the distance between us and Jesus is infinite. He's infinitely a greater person. He's infinitely more powerful than I am. But not only that, John says, Jesus has a greater baptism than I do. This is key. Verse number 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I whose sandal I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I baptize you with water. Watch. Here's what John's saying. My baptism is real. I've been called to do it. It is necessary. It's a good thing. But let's just be real clear here. Mine is water baptism. It is only water. It is just symbolic. The one who's coming. Here's what you need to look for. He's going to have the real. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. This one who's coming after me is a greater person, more powerful. His baptism is greater. He literally decides who gets the Holy Spirit or not. It's coming. 
John could honestly say this, I have the Spirit. I'll tell you right now, John confuses me theologically. He fits in a category I cannot reconcile. I've taught through the book of Acts. John has the Holy Spirit from pre-birth in the womb. John was, and I don't know what to do with that. I really don't. It confuses me. He had it. So John could honestly say, I have the Spirit. I can't give the Spirit. He gives the Spirit. But verse number 12 shows us that also John's saying, Jesus' perception is greater than his. Verse number 12, he says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the barn and the chaff. He will burn with unquenchable fire. Jeff, what do you mean? Watch this. John is very perceptive. John is going to perceive there's some people at his baptism who aren't right with God. He's going to recognize there's some who have not really, really repented inside. Maybe they've gone through emotion, or maybe they haven't even gone through emotion. They've not really repented. He's very perceptive, but listen, this is key. Jesus, way more perceptive. Guys, I'm going to promise you this morning, you will stand before Jesus and he will get it exactly right. He knows who in this auditorium right now is a true Christian. He knows who is really and truly trusting him only. I mean, really their whole, I mean, like their life depended on it because your life is depending on it. There are some in this room whose whole eternity has just been placed in the hands of Jesus and you're resting in that and he knows who has a little bit of self mingled in there and it'll, he'll, he'll get it right. If you've mingled in a little bit of you and, and a lot, whole lot of Jesus, 99% Jesus, and I'm doing my part, you're going to be chaff and you're going to burn forever, literally. He'll get it right. He knows. Back to verse 3, I want to just quickly hit that. Matthew says, this was he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, how do we know that John really is humble? I'm telling you, words and reactions keep giving it away. He says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Matthew writes that because John says it. John's asked, I'm not looking at, we might look at it next week. John, we've been sent from Jerusalem, we've got to know. All of this. Are you the Messiah? No, absolutely not. You sure? I'm not lying. I'd be lying if I said I am. And I'd be lying if I said I'm not and I really am. No, I'm not the Messiah. Okay. Are you Elijah? Because the last thing we have from the Old Testament is the book of Malachi saying before the kingdom, you're saying the kingdom's here, there's supposed to be this Elijah returning. Are you here? I'm not, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? Moses says we're supposed to look for this prophet that's like him in a lot of ways, but great. Are you that? Oh, I'm not that prophet. What are you then? You keep doing this. What are you? Who are you? Me? I'm a voice. I'm a voice. Do y'all know what's significant about a voice? You don't see a voice. That's humility. John's attitude, me? You see these clothes? Yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about that camel's hair. Can we not take you like to men's warehouse and get you a little something better than that? You know John's attitude? It's not important that people see me. Speaking of men's warehouse, I was at one in Haywood Road years ago, probably 10 or 12 years ago, and I remember the sales guy there telling me of a specific well-known preacher in Greenville said, oh, he doesn't wear a suit unless it's $1,000 or more. And he says, shoes, he won't wear them unless they're two or $300 shoes. He won't even look at them. 
John? Yeah, I'm not into the whole look at me thing. Humility. I want you to listen. John's heart's attitude. What's your title? I don't need a title. I don't care about a title. He really doesn't care. John, do you want more and more people to know who you are? I literally don't care who knows my name. I think about the Casting Crown song that they have out, and it's been out a little while. It's just not about building a legacy. I don't care to leave a legacy. It's only about the name of Jesus. This literally is John's attitude. He's so filled with humility. You don't need to see me. You don't need to know my name. I don't need a title. So many people, I don't have a title. I need a big title. I need to be well known. Stop it. Why do you want the title? I'm so dissatisfied with ministry, with what God has for me. Why? God may want you to have a greater ministry. He may. But here's, check your heart. Why do you want to grant? Because I want to be more known. Stop it. Confess it. John's attitude, I don't care if you know me, I'm just a voice. Now here's what's important. You better hear my message and you better respond to it. That's what's key. That's what matters. God's calling on John and here's why I'm impressed with him and he would be embarrassed by us saying this this morning. His calling put him in a position where literally people were thinking... You are the Messiah. And when that happens, he quickly diverts attention. Stop, no, no, no. And he always puts it on Jesus. Hold your spot here. Go with me, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Go over there very quickly. John chapter 1, kind of halfway through the chapter, verse number 29. So this is the day after he baptizes Christ. So it's a little advanced from where we were. Look at John chapter 1, verse number 29. The next day, I'm telling you, this guy's very humble. The next day, he, John, saw Jesus coming toward him. So picture it. John, there's Jesus. I don't know how far away he is, but picture whatever Jesus looked like. He was a Jewish man. And there's John, a Jewish man, wearing his men's warehouse camel hair sport coat. (laughs) Next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold. Oh, yeah. That's the one that you were. Behold. Look at him. The Lamb of God. The what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at him. The Lamb. Israel, we've been bringing our lambs for 1,500 years to cover our sins. That's our lambs. This is. God's lamb that's not going to cover, he's going to take away not one person's sin or not one nation's sin. Guys, look, it's the lamb of God. It's God's lamb. It's going to take away the sins of the whole world. Look at him. Verse number 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. There's his ministry, forerunner, arrival, get ready. Don't look at me, look at him. As if that's not enough, flip over to chapter number 3 of John. John chapter number 3, verse number 22. We're moving ahead probably weeks or months now. Just a flip of the page and we're moving ahead in time. The scene has changed. Jesus is mostly ministering up north in Galilee, but this time now he's coming back down south for just a little bit of time. He's been over in Jerusalem. He's talked to Nicodemus. 
at nighttime and told him, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's verse 16. Now we're at verse number 22, John chapter 3, verse 22. Watch this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, out of Jerusalem. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. Now, chapter 4 is going to tell us that Jesus is not really doing much of the baptizing. Either his disciples are doing it or he only baptizes his disciples and then they do the baptizing. But here's what's happening. 22 again. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. Jesus baptized. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim. Not far away. Why there? Because water was plentiful there. By the way, real quick. We don't sprinkle here. Why don't we sprinkle? Because the biblical mode of baptism in the Bible is always immersion. Always. You don't find them sprinkling. John, why, why this spot of the Jordan is because a lot of water here. Oh, a lot of water to dip your canteen? No. A lot of water to go down in. That's why we... Sprinkling doesn't really get the point across either symbolically. That's a sidetrack. Got to keep moving. Verse 23. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Some of John's disciples, big debate. I don't know fully what's going on here, but watch the next thing. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, these are his guys, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. People are going there. Have you heard about this? This guy's really stressed. Rabbi, our numbers are going down. The one you said, he's baptizing people too. They're really swelling over there. What's going on? John answered, verse 27, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Like, whoa, 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 guys. He's getting ready to rebuke him. Oh, stop it. We don't have anything unless it was given to us. I have a ministry. It was bigger earlier. It came from God. And now he's going to rebuke his guys even more. You yourselves bear me witness. Now you guys remember. Were you not paying attention? You know that I said this. Did you think I was just up talking? Words mean things, guys. Pay attention. Verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. But I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. I don't get the girl. The guys, I don't get, but, but he's, he's, his numbers are swelling. His ministry is bigger than yours now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't get the girl. The friend of the bridegroom, that's my role, who stands and hears him, Rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, aren't you upset, John? Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Mission accomplished. He must increase. I must decrease. I can picture these guys going, Rabbi, if that's the case, <laughs> this is confusing. If that's the case, then then we should like be over the... And I picture him going, what are you waiting on? But our allegiance, I appreciate your loyalty. 
I've been pointing to him. What is John? John's a signpost. Always pointing at Jesus as the Christ. Somebody else's ministry gets a little bigger than his. John really does not care. It's okay. They have a greater ministry. It's wonderful. They go in the same direction. Wonderful. That's God's will. God gave me this gift. God gave them that gift. He really is not threatened. This is humility. Now here's why that stands out to me. Yeah. This is why this stands out to me, and I'm going to move on to the second thing about John very quickly. John was famous. Do y'all know fame is intoxicating? Fame is intoxicating. John kept his head. John never got drunk. John never got tipsy on John. John always kept his focus on Jesus. My last comment to this point would be this. I, I forget who to give credit. I want you to hear this. Our base garment the person worded it this way, our innermost garment, mine, t-shirt right here, right? Our base garment is pride. It's yours too. It's the first thing you put on, it'll be the last thing you take off. You say, oh, I, if anything that I struggle with, it's one thing I don't struggle with, is pride. It's your base garment. You, you came with it. You're going to fight it the rest of your life. But humility is urgent. Why is humility urgent? Because you can't get saved without humility. If, I'm telling you, if you've never hit a point, say, I didn't word it that way, Jeff. If you've never hit a point in life where you came to this conclusion, God, I, I, I'm just not going to make it as I am. I, I'm going to have to have something else. And God says, that's why I sent Jesus but God, I don't, I don't have a chance. Good, you're about to get saved when you get there. If you think you have anything to do with salvation, you cannot get saved. I could even word it this way. I'm telling everybody here at Graceview and your, and your pastor as well, your and my default is pride. Your need is humility. Your default, pride. Your need, humility. Second thing about John's character, you can't miss it. You say, yeah, these don't go together. Oh, they do. John's authority and boldness. John's authority and boldness. Did you see it? John had a boldness about him. He was very fearless. I know some folks do this, but they usually have a net on. But anybody that goes up to a beehive with active bees and just robs them of their honey, I, I respect that guy. Where, where are you going? And he goes, <laughs> having some locusts and honey today. Yesterday we had honey and locusts. Today we're having locusts and honey. It's good. Wow. Aren't you like, a, I've been tagged a time or two, but they, for the most part, leave me alone. You're crazy. There's no, I'm not going up there. I will take some of the honey, but I'm not going up there. Forget, this guy is just brazen, just makes his way up in there. John had an authority and a boldness about him. Hear this. John honestly, in his core, believes. He's convinced. He has so much authority, he can tell people, repent, change the way you're thinking. Stop thinking the way you've been thinking. Have a whole new core down to the base level, a whole new way of thinking because I say to. What do you, where do you get that from? Who do you think you are? I'm from God. Do what I'm saying. And he has great authority. He tells people, repent. Now. Repent. Right now. Man. Robbing beehives, calling for people to repent. John is not intimidated by people. We saw Herod the Great. Herod has a few sons. One of them is going to be named Herod Antipas. 
He's going to steal his half-brother Philip's wife. And John the Baptist preaches against Herod Antipas. Herod the Petrarch. Now Herod will have him put in prison. And Herod will have his head cut off for it. But it doesn't stop John. I don't care who you are. He calls a spade a spade. That is sin. That's an ungodly marriage. He calls it out. He's not intimidated by anybody. Calling for repentance. Rebuking the king or the leader, the ruler. Look at verse number 6 again. Look at that quickly. I'm sorry, verse number 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. He's a man who sees the leadership of Israel, the religious leaders, coming to his baptism. There's some debate here. I don't know. Maybe it's a blend. Everybody listen for just a second. Apparently they're coming to his baptism and not for his baptism. Or maybe some of them have come not only to but for, but some have not. Or some maybe thought just by getting wet in the water that everything's good. John does not mince his words. I'm, I, again, I'm reading between the lines. I'm picturing this man baptized. Anybody else today? Anyone else? Anyone else to be baptized today? we got some who still have not repented. You've been coming and watching. You're not going to repent? Do you honestly think being Jewish is going to work for you when you stand before the Lord? You better have more than that. God can raise up out of these stones, children, for Abraham. That's not going to work for you. You vipers. You over here, you think just going through the baptismal waters has washed away your sins? Your life still hasn't changed. Man. You say, seriously? You think, oh yeah, he did that. No one? How about you over there? You still haven't repented yet? How long are you going to keep coming and watching? We hear that and go, that's kind of harsh, man. He's not very politically correct. Yeah, they didn't know about political correctness in John's day. They hadn't, he hadn't figured that out. He said, well, then I don't see a lot of humility in that. Oh, no, no, that does not contradict his humility. Here's a very important thing that we all need to learn. You can be truly humble before God and bold and authoritative for God. Absolutely, you can. John proves it. Also, I would say about John, this is important too while I'm at it. John is not just obnoxiously offensive. I have no one in mind. So that's why I get to say this with free heart. If you don't know what I think, don't ask me. I just speak my mind. Oh. If I do anything, everybody knows I speak my mind. Okay. Uh, Well, Jeff, what do you think about that? That may be a good thing to do. Sometimes we do need to speak our mind, but sometimes people are speaking their mind they weren't asked to speak their mind. And sometimes people speak their mind and they speak way too much. It goes over into slander and gossip and just offensiveness. I speak my mind. But here's the bigger thing. Some people are really bold to speak their mind, but they never speak God's mind. They, they just they, they choke on God's words, but boy, they won't everybody know what they think about everything. That's not John. John is not just out offensively being obnoxious. John's message, I'm not going to get this across today. I'm going to tell you this is not going to come across as, as, as strong as it needs to. His message is for Jews. Jews, repent. Jews, get down in the water and get baptized. That's a hard message 
That's a difficult message. It's the proper message. It's the right message. John, humble, authoritative, and bold. Same time. How? If you're sitting here right now thinking, I really struggle with being authoritative for the Lord, I want to tell you three things about John. Why I, and there's more, but I've narrowed down to three. Where does he get this authority and boldness from? Where does it come from? Like, I, I, I just, I got a situation at work, or I got a situation over here, and I, I just, I'm just not authoritative in that. And okay, I'm going to tell you why John is. Hold your spot here one more time, one more passage. Go to John 1. We were there a while ago. John 1. I'm going to show you why John's so authoritative and yet humble. John chapter number 1. And you may accuse me afterwards saying, Jeff, you make too big a deal over one word. It's just a little preposition. John chapter number 1, look at verse number 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. By the way, when we're reading John here, this is the gospel of John, the disciple, the youngest of the disciples. This is not John the Baptist writing this. There were several Johns. John the disciple, the beloved, is writing about John Baptist in verse number 6. John says of John, there was a man... Sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light. John, why? That all might believe through him. And to be clear, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Like Jeff, what does that have to do with authority? Look at verse 6 again. There was a man sent from God. Listen. In Luke chapter number 2, John got his birth, John's birth, Jesus' birth. John grows up, and apparently he goes out to the wilderness early in life, young adult. I don't know how long he spent out there, but he's spending apparently a long time. Luke chapter number 3, verse number 2, the word of the Lord came to John, and then John starts his ministry. I don't know how long the word of the Lord was coming to John, but here's my point. You say, where does this man get such authority? His authority came because he was a man who was sent from God. Watch, this is not a man sent by God. Yeah, tell John, go over there. That's not what happened. John is with God in the wilderness and they're spending time together and then God says, now you go to them, tell them to repent and show works that prove that they've repented. John's been spending time with God and then John goes to the people. I'm going to tell you, time with God results in power with people. That's where it comes from. John had it. Nobody intimidates it. You hang out with God and people don't scare you. People don't scare you anymore. Nobody intimidates this fella. Now, if you're here this morning saying, I remember a time I used to spend a lot of time with God and I had that kind of holy boldness. But it's been a long time. Yeah, it it goes away. You're not going to have that authority. You're going to be very afraid of people. Not John. Second reason, as we go back to Matthew, where's his authority come from? Secondly, his message was accurate. You know why? And his message was urgent. John knows his message is Bible. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're going to have to repent if you're going to be part of the kingdom of heaven. John's message is accurate. John's message is urgent. John's, where's your authority come from? I have the most important thing for these people to hear. The best I can do for them is to share this message. They're not going to get in. John, why are you so authoritative? This is key. Because eternal souls are hanging in the balance. Eternal souls are at stake. I've got to tell them. 
Those Pharisees and Sadducees are on their way to hell and then people they're going to go teach are going to be on their way to hell. I have to share the accurate, urgent message. And the third one I've already alluded to earlier, it's this. John was filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about this next week. You say, I'm a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit. Me too. John was filled Carried along by, controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's where his authority comes from. That's where his humility. This is the key. Again, did I already say this earlier that I used to teach Acts? Did I say that earlier? I used to teach Acts in the Christian school. One of the things I noticed about the filling of the Spirit when the Holy Spirit controls a person, listen, it always affects the speech. The loud mouth quietens down. The shy, introvert, intimidated, you can't get them to shut up. Why? It's not their words. It's God's words. I'm telling you, it affects the speech. It affects the content of what's being said and the, the force with which it's being said. That's John. John's filled with the Spirit. John's been spending time with God. John has an urgent message. Power. I'm not scared of you. We're going to cut your head off. Fine. Do what you got to do. I'm going to tell you the truth. Lastly, What's the purpose of this baptism? What's this whole water baptism? And I'm not going to be long here. What's the purpose of water baptism? Everybody ready? So we got three notes left on your handout if I'm looking correctly. And I want to paste them. And I hope that when you write the last one, you don't do what some at a church I used to go to Bless her heart, if the preacher finished his handout, it went in, and you'd hear, all right, we're done. Hang with me the whole time. What's with this baptism? Why is this important? Here we go. It was normal for the Jews to baptize Gentiles. Why? Because everybody knows Gentiles are on the outside of the people of God. They're out there. So here we come. We want to go to heaven. We want to have a relationship with God. We're not Jewish. All right, you're going to need to get circumcised. You're going to need to change your diet. You're going to need to get baptized. You're going to need to make professions. You're going to need to kind of change your life. You're going to keep the ceremonies and start making sacrifices. Now, you only go so far in the temple, but done. All right, get them out in the water. They can become one of us. Because you Gentiles, everybody know you're pagans. You're on the outside looking in. Here's what's unusual. John's like, hey Jews, you need to get baptized. What? This is so offensive. So offensive. Why? Because the Jews were at a point in their history where they're treating this thing called salvation, this is important, as a national right rather than a personal transaction of faith. We're Jewish. John comes along and says, you better repent. You need to get baptized for your sin and your wrong attitude and thinking you're good enough because you're Abraham's kids. You better have more than that. This is so offensive, guys. Here's my point. I can't get across to you this morning how much, how difficult it would be for, for Jews to get down into the baptismal waters and be baptized like Gentiles because by doing this, in essence, they're confessing, 
I confess I am as far outside of the people of God as the Gentiles are. I need that personal kind of faith. I need that personal relationship. I am confessing my sins. I'm getting my heart right. I am just like the Gentiles. And John's like, you get it. You get it. This is tough. Jews would not like this. But they're doing it. Verse number 6. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Here we go. Confessing their sins. Here's what they were not doing. They weren't hiding their sins. Weren't denying their sins. They weren't covering their sins. Listen, they weren't belittling their sins. I made a mistake. I messed up. I messed up. I've, I've kind of made a mistake, made a couple mistakes along the way. You're not ready to get saved. You haven't seen your sin. You haven't confessed. They're not just confessing their sinfulness. They're confessing their sins. Often when we talk to people, and I encourage you to do this, when we're talking to people about salvation, how to have a relationship with God, how to know you're going to heaven, use the Ten Commandments. Why? Because the Ten Commandments reveal to us the holy nature of God, the sinful nature of man. Here's the key. You have to get lost before you can get saved. You have to get lost. Some of the best times in ministry are when God's Holy Spirit convicts a sinner and sinners start confessing something like this. Now, it's not to us. It literally is to God. You ever been there? You ever been here? God. I'm an idolater. God, I've loved other things more than you. God, I'm an idolater. God, I'm a blasphemer. I've taken your name Oh Lord, or good Lord, or I've taken the name of God, taken the name of Jesus in, in vain. You don't hold me guiltless, I'm guilty. God, God, I'm a Sabbath breaker. I abuse this body. I don't trust you. I'm a workaholic. This isn't funny, God. I'm sorry. I've broken what you've said. Do. I don't rest. God, I dishonor you because I dishonor my parents. I'm a disobedient to parent person. God, I'm sorry. You ever been here? God, some literally, but most, God, I'm like a murderer in my heart. I want ill things to happen to people. I'm a murderer in my heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. God, I'm an adulterer. I've lusted. Have a battle with it. God, I'm an adulterer. God, I'm a thief. I take things that aren't mine. I want them, and I just take them. God, I just abuse the truth to make me look good or to get me out of things. God, I am a liar. These people, do you see this scene? Anybody else? Anybody else? Me? Come on in. You want to say anything? And there's his family up there. Yeah, I'm an abuser, blasphemer, drunkard. On down the line, family weeping over there. I just, God, I've turned it to you from my sins by your grace. I'm giving it up. Anybody else? They're just naming it. <laughs> this, is, this is good stuff. I close with the overview. You ready? Jeff, what stands out to you in this passage? Here it is. The public nature of it stands out to me. It's also public. Man, that requires a lot of humility. I've told you, humility has been everywhere. John has it. John's calling for it. 
People are exemplifying it. Others don't have it. He's calling them out on it. Humility. All over. I want to be real clear. I hope you'll listen the next two or three minutes better than you've listened the whole rest of the service. Here's John's message. Repent to God internally, privately. And then let it be known publicly. Listen. Salvation is by grace. It's as simple as God saying, I'm going to save you. I sent my son to die on a cross. It's enough. I'm going to give you salvation. Salvation is by grace alone. Watch. Received by faith. I believe you, God. Received by faith alone. Did you catch that? So much Bible to prove that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone will be saved. For by grace are you saved, through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We would boast. It is literally by grace, through faith. I've been preaching that for two and a half years. Sunday after Sunday. Do you know that over the last two and a half years here, some folks believed that message? Right there. Right where you're sitting. Maybe this very seat you're sitting in. Over the last two and a half years, someone has asked Christ or shortly after the service or following up during the week. People have done that exact thing. And they've come forward and said that they did that. And even got baptized as a declaration of that. But over the last two and a half years, I don't know this for a fact, I have a pretty strong suspicion Others have done the exact same thing. They literally, in a service like this, going through Romans. Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 9, Romans 10, Romans 11. You're like, 9 and 11? Oh, yes. And grace becomes so clear and so not of them. And in the moment, when pleaded with, and hopefully just the Holy Spirit giving the right words and promptings, literally sitting in the service... They, like Acts chapter 10, like Cornelius' family, they just heard the truth and believed and received the Holy Spirit. Literally, pop, happened right there. I believe some have done that and have come forward, and I believe there's some have done that in the last two and a half years. But you haven't told anybody. So I want to be real clear. Jeff, why don't you have it come forward? Why don't you call them out and have them walk down? God does not require you to walk forward to be saved. You don't have to do that. God is looking for private faith. When He sees it, He's going to give it to you. He's going to give you salvation. He doesn't require. So that's why, and by the way, I'm not against walk forward. It's not wrong to have a come forward. God just doesn't require it. But now I want to hear you. I want you to hear this. After salvation that is private, God is looking for faith only. After that salvation, God calls for public confession, public profession. I wonder, maybe somebody here this morning, you've done exactly that. Literally, as I'm talking, you're sitting there saying, I don't remember the date. Or maybe, maybe you even wrote it in your Bible. That was the day. Jeff, you're exactly right. It was Romans 5. It was Romans 11. It was in the prayer series. 
It was back in 2016 in Psalm 93. I remember so vividly, I literally started trusting the Lord. But you've not gone public. And I wonder why. I'm going to give you a hint why you maybe haven't gone public. Because it's safe. If I tell everybody what I did, then I'm kind of out there now. I'm almost done. Jesus died for you publicly. Think on that. He died so publicly. 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Naked. Naked. He carried a cross through Jerusalem. Shamed. Takes all our sin. Again, removed of his clothing. Carrying a cross. Assumed to be guilty. Hanging on a cross. Six hours. Public. For you. And he says... Go public for me. Don't go public thinking that's going to save you. But if you really did repent, then let it be known. These people weren't ashamed. I confess. I just wonder, is there, is there a person here this morning, someone watching online perhaps, or will watch later, you just need, honestly, you, you don't, even before I, I say heads bowed, eyes closed, like, like, like right now, if that was you, he died for you in public. What's wrong with you just saying, that's me. That's me. I did that. I'm a sinner. That's why I need to get in there and get water baptized as a declaration. I am a sinner, but I've trusted Jesus, and he really did save me from my sin. Salvation's private. Confession is public. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? So many things. What did the Lord speak to you about this morning? Humility. Authority. Ask the Lord. This is, this is probably the second most important part of the message after the reading. Invite the Holy Spirit. God, would you speak to me? Lord, remind me as we went through the message, what was it exactly? Do I need to be a forerunner announcing the arrival of Christ? Calling people to Christ? Is that you? Be honest. Ask the Lord. Lord, put your finger upon what I need most from this message. Is there anybody here? You're like, I am so filled with pride. It is my base garment. It's all my layers. I am filled with it. And I, I, I've gotten saved. But boy, since then, I've gotten so caught up in me. I just need to go back and just, God, it's only by your grace that I'm going to get to heaven. Lord, I've looked down at others. Or, Lord, I've measured myself by others. Or, Lord, I've been so discontent with where you have me and what you've done for others and their titles or their ability or their possessions or their giftedness or their appearance. And just stop it. God, forgive me of my pride. Lord, I humble myself today. Anybody here? You're like, I, God, I am so lacking in authority and boldness. I'm quick to speak my mind. I am so slow to speak your truth. God, I'm going to spend some time with you. I want to invite you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, let me know the truthful, accurate, urgent message of salvation and put it on my lips. Maybe even have someone in mind you need to share it with. But is anybody here, in fact, I might even ask you with heads bowed, eyes closed, just to raise your hand. Anybody here over the last two and a half years, you're like, Jeff, on a Sunday morning, 
sitting right in this auditorium. I really truly settled my eternal life. I know I'm on my way to heaven. I've settled it in the last two and a half years on the heels of a Bible message, but I've never told anybody. I've kept it in. And I want to raise my hand. I'm already right with God, but I just haven't told anybody. I need to profess it. I need to confess it publicly. My eyes are open. Anybody want to raise their hand? That's you. You say, I've done that in the last two and a half years. I've just settled that. Anybody here this morning? Would you raise your hand up? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? You're like, I have really, God just made that clear, and I've put my faith and trust, and I've never really said it. Anybody else? Put your hand up just briefly and back down. Right where you sit, just before we pray. Is there anybody you're like, I need to repent? So where I started, I'm going to finish. Would you right now, where you sit, bring God into focus. God, I'm a sinner. I'm an idolater, blaspheming, lying, hateful, adulterous-minded person. God, I'm a thief. I've taken things I shouldn't have taken. God, by your grace... Because of your mercy, I turn to you from my sin. God, right now, do it right now. Talk to God. God, I am putting my faith in Jesus only. I ask you to save me from my sins. Father, if anybody just prayed that, would you give them that assurance? Lord, would you give them such confidence in Christ and your word, your promises, that they will go the next step and even say thank you for saving them. Lord, let us be pure. Let us be bold. In Christ's name.